Welcome to the Economics Explored podcast. I'm your host, Gene Tunney. I'm a Brisbane-based economist and a former Australian Treasury official. This is episode 69 on financing the COVID-19 government debt. My guest today is Associate Professor Begonia Dominguez of the University of Queensland here in Brisbane, Australia. Begonia, good to be chatting with you today. Hi, Jean. Yeah, good to good to see you. Good to talk to you. Absolutely, yes. So we're chatting on the fifth of January, twenty twenty-one. So yes, uh, happy New Year, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'm keen to chat with you about a video you released last year through the Economics School at UQ on financing the COVID-19 government debt. We know that governments around the world have had huge budget deficits as a result of both the loss of revenue associated with reduced economic activity in this time of pandemic, but also due to massive emergency and stimulus measures that have been undertaken. And there's a a conversation being had on, well, how do we fix or repair our budgets over the long term? How do we make sure we can actually service this debt and pay it down or get our debt to GDP under control and eventually reduce it? And your video considers this. It looks it it asks this question, and you've you've identified three different proposals. So. I'd be grateful, Begonia, if you could take us through, in broad terms, what those proposals are, and then we might get specific about some of them, please. Um, yes. Uh, well, hello, everybody. First of all, I would like to mention that, uh, as we all know, the government debt in Australia is a relatively low uh, compared to international standards. So we are in a very strong position to respond to this pandemic. Other countries cannot say the same. And for that reason, my suggestion about financing the COVID-induced debt is one that um, we should start the conversation about what we should be doing, but we should not start financing this because what we need is a strong recovery first. Okay. So in the video that you mentioned, I went through three different proposals. Um, I'll give you a little bit of a snapshot of each of them, but please just interrupt me whenever you feel like. So in the first one, uh, I talked about one proposal that has been made by uh, academic economists in the US. This is made by Bianchi et al. And what they are proposing is a coordinated strategy between fiscal and monetary authorities. And what they are suggesting is that the fiscal authority would introduce an emergency budget for all COVID-related expenditures and with no provision to finance it. So basically what they are proposing is a fiscal imbalance on the fiscal side. On the monetary side, what they are suggesting is that the monetary authority to adopt actually an increase in the inflation target. 
Okay, so basically what they are proposing is a monetary accommodation. So the idea is that this fiscal imbalance together with a um, monetary accommodation would lead to higher inflation and that over time this would reduce the value of the government debt that has been accumulated. Okay. Yes. So um, the main advantage of this is that it, of course, is doesn't require austerity, but one issue is the danger of the central bank losing its independence. Okay. Could I ask you a bit of, about that proposal? It sounds interesting. To an extent, governments are doing some of this already, aren't they? I mean, they're basically governments have basically accepted that they have to make massive expenditures as emergency measures and central banks around the world such as the US Federal Reserve, our Reserve Bank of Australia, the Bank of England, European Central Bank, they have had very loose monetary policy or very accommodative so they've cut their policy rates and they've also, they're also engaging in quantitative easing and all sorts of various financing measures, uh, such as uh, in the US, I know the Federal Reserve has been lending to companies. So to an extent, it, it seems that this may be occurring already. So it'd be interesting your thoughts on that. And also um, uh, it, yes. uh, this idea, but what it sounds like they might be doing, am I right? They're, they're saying that the, the central bank should, it lifts its inflation target. So in Australia, that's about 2 to 3% per annum. In the US, is it? I think it might be about 2%. So would this be a signal to the market that they could go even further with, with their monetary easing, that they, they will be accommodative in the recovery? They, they, they won't increase interest rates as soon as otherwise? Would that, mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts on that, Begonia? Uh, yes. Uh, first of all, no, you are very uh, right that some of this has been happening. However, not to such clear um, and drastic measures. Um, is true. For example, the Federal Reserve in the US, what they have moved is towards uh, average inflation targeting. Uh, which explicitly is saying that they are going to be compensating for the periods with low inf- uh, below targets. So they are going to be ha- happy to have higher, tar- higher inflation than the target for a while. So some of this has been happening, but not to not as crystallized uh, uh, as what Bianchi suggests. Um, regarding the second question that you were mentioning, uh, what uh, sorry, what was it that you were mentioning? Whether they have been doing it, and I say yes. And the second question was, oh yes, uh, I, I guess. I was asking about whether changing the inflation target this ah. is a way of this is a way of signaling to the markets that yes or signaling to companies and households in the economy that the the central bank is very willing to you know to help out and they're not going to jack up interest rates uh, when as soon as the economy starts to recover so it's a way of 
it, it's a way of promoting growth in the future. I'm I'm, I'm trying to understand yes, how I, this I could. Mm. Uh, during the financial crisis uh, in 2008-2009, we uh, saw the um, uh, central banks around the world using f- f- um, forward guidance more than ever, telling, uh, telling us what we should be expecting in terms of monetary policy. And this has been continued. And now during the pandemic, that has been the case So uh, as well. So now uh, uh, central banks are uh, making clear that interest rates are going to be low for, uh, for a while. This is not going to be, and this is not only the Federal Reserve in the US, it's also in Australia. We know that interest rates are going to be low uh, for many years to come. Yes, yes. So I'll put a link to the paper by Bianchi and his co-authors in the show notes. Mm. It sounds like partly what they're talking about is, is it monetary financing of the deficits? They're saying that don't worry, don't worry so much about having to finance this deficit in the short term. So don't worry, worry about having to sell the bonds to the bondholders, to the investors, you could just get your central bank to print the money to so that you can pay the bills. Is that the idea? So it's partly money financing. It, it could be seen as modern monetary theory. It's not exactly, no, uh, I would not say that because what they, what they are doing is by, in, they are actually using a standard monetary, monetary and fiscal theory to uh, induce uh, an increase in inflation. So they want, what, what they basically they are doing is the less coordinate actions between a uh, Treasury and RBA, let's mm. coordinate actions between fiscal and monetary authorities in order to induce inflation uh, to run. That that would happen under the circumstances that they are proposing, but no, it's not exactly the same as um, as what you just mentioned. Okay, yeah. okay. I'll I'll have a closer read of the the paper. It it looks. I had a scan of it. It looks uh, fascinating. Okay, I should ask about central bank independence because you mentioned that one of the risks is that this type of approach could undermine central bank independence. Mm -hmm. Why is central bank independence important in the first place, Begonia? Uh, Well, we know that central bank independence is something very important in normal normal times, and this is because... uh, as we know, the, there will be the uh, there is a trade-off between what uh, monetary authorities would like to do in the long run compared to the short run, and that leads to a time inconsistency problem. And that w- uh, we know that actually having allowing for independence of the monetary authority can lead to better outcomes in terms of inflation. And this is something that we have seen, for example, in Australia, that since uh, we started with inflation targeting with a central bank that is independent, we have been able to control inflation uh, more effectively. Okay. Basically, it's about 
expectations um, and it, uh, the independence is, is, is very important for uh, having uh, expectations of inflations that are anchored. Okay, so time inconsistency, this is, this is the problem whereby you may not be able to trust a central bank or a government to, to keep inflation low or to keep monetary policy tight? Is, mm. is, that, the, is that the problem? Yeah, they would have an incentive to, um, to inflate. Yes, yes, okay, 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 right. And so what's interesting about this proposal from uh, Bianchi is to an extent they're saying that the government should rely on the inflation tax. It should rely on the fact that if you have higher inflation, that reduces the real value of the government debt. Mm-hmm. So, that, yeah, that's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting approach, uh, which is – Good for taxpayers, but bad for bondholders. Uh, so, I mean, it's good for the bulk of the community. But if it does lead to that mistrust of the central bank or this loss of central bank independence, then it could lead it, to higher inflation. inflation. Yeah. yeah okay. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, so, actually, it could uh, play against. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Good stuff. That's really interesting. Okay. What about? Um, Proposal two on the social contract, Begonia. Would you be able to take us through that, please? Yeah. So this is about a paper that I have been working on, and the idea about this paper is built on insurance evaluation and redistribution. So, um, uh, what my suggestion is the following: is that during the pandemic, as we are still nowadays uh, more universal support should go we should use more universal support to go through it and that afterwards uh, an evaluation after after we have reached a point where the pandemic has ended that we could carry an evaluation about what has happened who has who has lost how much and that then actually we could use that evaluation to guide the la- the level of redistribution that is required so the basic idea of this is like we could take this um, horrible thing that is happening to all of us as a social contract among everybody and uh, uh, let's take some decisions to um, protect those um, that uh, everybody in the economy and that later we can evaluate what has happened and that we can use taxes to a, um, finance this, uh, this response. So, uh, for example, if we see, but um, this, this proposal would, would, would uh, imply a different level of taxation depending on what has happened. In, like, if we imagine one country in which in that country there has been very little protection for uh, young workers uh, that have suffered a lot, you could think about uh, that later uh, taxes could be more progressive in order to compensate for that. Uh, or the other way around, uh, if they have been very protective of many 
many firms, maybe you can think about, well, maybe it's time for them to pay back the protection that they that they received. Yes. Um, I think from particularly from an ex-ante point of view, this would be a empowering governments to take actions. And yes. also from a political perspective, like uh, if um, when certain policies are going to be uh, discussed, if you um, clearly define how they are going to be uh, financed afterwards, taking into account whether if we overdo it too much and some benefit uh, disproportionately, they are going to be paying for it. So through taxation. So yeah, look, I think it's a really interesting proposal. It's a, it's this idea of it's it's social insurance. So we do have a yeah. social security scheme, but you're basically saying that ex ante, so before the event, we should the government should signal that okay, we're going to assist biz, uh, households, we're going to assist businesses as we have. So in Australia, we increase the rate of job seeker the the unemployment benefit, there was very generous assistance to businesses, there was a wage subsidy scheme called JobKeeper, there was a cash flow boost to businesses through the uh, the tax system. So what, the, what governments could signal is that, okay, we'll provide all of this assistance and we don't know how bad this is going to be, so we're going to be generous and if it turns out that we were overly generous, we might have to claw some of it back later. And yeah. it's possible in Australia, particularly with JobKeeper, the wage subsidy scheme, that that could have been a bit too generous, uh, particularly if you look at the data on what it's done to uh, company profits, which are actually up, what it's done to earnings of uh, self-employed people, which are up despite the the pandemic. So you could argue that that might be this i think this yeah this idea uh makes sense given what we've seen here in australia definitely would you would you agree with that begonia yeah i do i agree i, th I think um at the heart of what i'm proposing in uh, in this in this one um is accountability yeah. so if we see that um we didn't provide enough uh, insurance to certain groups, maybe we should compensate them more afterwards and the other way around. If we overcompensated some, maybe they should be the ones to chip in and pay uh, yes. more of that. Yeah, I know what you mean. I think it's a good, it's a really good proposal well, we, we should be thinking along these lines because what we've done, particularly during the financial crisis and and during the pandemic, is we've developed these policies on the run. We've developed them in a very short period of time and we haven't really thought about how they all fit together and, yeah, you know, what, um, whether we're... Yeah. It's like Sweden, they are now saying, oh, we messed up, we, uh, we provided too little insurance. So... Uh, yeah, we, mm. I think we we, uh, we are all countries are facing this situation, uh, which is 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 an incredibly uncertain times, and they are difficult. is 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 difficult to um, 
to nail down all all the policies. But um, I think proposal two would enable, uh, would empower governments to take decisions uh, by ta- uh, um, by making that accountability. Like we are going to make an evaluation. We are going to see if we overdo it. You pay more if you we provided too little insurance, then you will be compensated. Yes, yes. So I, I like it, and it. I mean, what we could end up seeing is that where governments have overcompensated, and this could be what happens in Australia because of you know, the massive JobKeeper program, and we've got the trillion dollar plus federal debt. Mm-hmm. It may be that in the future that means that, well. The, the federal government has to keep taxes higher than otherwise or it or it can't spend on programs it would like to. So, uh, look, I think what you propose is very... Yeah, but th- again, as I said from the beginning, I think it's not the time now to increase taxes. We oh, yes. need to see a, a, a sound recovery before we, we do anything. Uh, yes, yeah, I agree. I mean, that's one of the, the messages. That's the message you end with in your video and I think that's very important point. You don't want a perverse fiscal policy. I mean, yeah, wouldn't be. I wouldn't want to suggest that at all. So, totally agree with you. Okay. Could I now ask you about? Oh, uh, f- before we get on to proposal three, you, you mentioned yep. you're writing a paper on this. Is the paper is yep. not. Is it available yet? Will it be available no, soon? Well, uh, this uh, not yet. <laughs> Hopefully soon. Okay. And you be? Will you be submitting that to a journal? Sure. Okay. Yes. Okay. Good. Yeah, I'll be interested in uh, seeing that when it comes out because it's a yeah, incredibly important issue. Because we've got to do better than the ad hoc, the the bailouts or the all of the 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 programs like JobKeeper and the Higher Job Seeker or the Paycheck Protection Program in the US that were developed in very quickly, and we haven't really mm-hmm. thought about uh, what they all mean uh, when they fit in together or what they mean long-term. Okay. So proposal three, would you be able to take us through that one, please, Begonia? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, proposal three is a proposal that actually could be implemented together with proposal one or proposal two, because basically it's about thinking about the tax system in Australia and how we could improve it. Okay. Um, So... A good tax system needs to balance efficiency, insurance, redistribution, while being simple and promoting growth. So one thing I do in this video that you were mentioning is that I go through some of the taxes that we have in Australia, and I mention some things that uh, that we could think about. Okay, and um, I mean. Regarding income taxes uh, versus consumption taxes, some um, uh, some have been suggesting to increase consumption taxes and reduce income taxes. Um, this has some advantages and disadvantages. The obvious advantage is the reduction of the income tax. However, in general, consumption taxes are very regressive. So that's a little bit of uh, the draw. Uh, the drawback and I don't know if you have any comments on this oh Um, yes yeah I agree with you there I mean uh, so by regressive you mean that because poorer households so lower income households consume a higher proportion of their income and wealthier households save more if if you have a a percentage 
uh, tax on consumption. So we have a 10% goods and services tax in Australia here. Some countries in Europe, do they? I think they have what, 15% or 20% value yeah, added they tax. Have, yeah, yeah, they have. It, overall, in Australia, we have lower low, low um, consumption taxes, uh, but we need to be careful with these, tax, uh, these taxes because as, at the end of the day, they are, as I, uh, as I mentioned, they fall more onto uh, those that are poorer. And then I also talk about company taxes and company taxes in Australia are around 27%, 30% with a range of uh, concessions. And some have been suggesting to decrease it. And there are, again, some advantages and disadvantages to this. One advantage is that that might encourage more business entry. Uh, however, it can also lead to higher market concentration, which can be uh, dangerous. Um, another thing that we might want to think about is about eliminating the imputation, imputation system. Uh, that can encourage foreign investment. At the moment, this is discouraging completely. And uh, one disadvantage is that that, can, uh, that would lead to double taxation, as you well know. Yes. Um, uh, one thing I'm, um, I'm uh, in favor of is the full expensive full expensing of investment. At the moment, it's only temporary in Australia, and I think this is uh, this is a very good measure because it eliminates distortions on investments and also uh, not only not only on investment, but it's also allowing tangible and intangible capital to be treated uh, in a neutral way. So uh, overall, full expensive of investment, it has many advantages. Um, and I, I think uh, yes. it's a good thing. Yeah. So basically you're saying that, I mean, one thing we can do is we can make sure that we're raising the revenue that we need, that the government that it needs in the most efficient way possible, mm -hmm. although taking into account equity. So you have to balance efficiency and, and equity yeah. and you want it to be simple. So there are some basic tax principles and you mentioned, yeah, there's in Australia, there's a general view that we should probably raise more from the goods and services tax uh, cut income taxes because the idea is that if you cut income taxes, that will improve incentives to work. That's I think that might be one of the arguments. Mm -hmm. And if there is any regressive impact, if uh, so, GST could have some regressive impact. That I agree there. Then, then you could, you know, maybe the way to deal with that is to is through the social security system, so through a higher rate of job seeker, uh, through unemployment benefits, for example. Have you looked at any other, do you have any thoughts on any other tax systems around the world? You've just focused on Australia. I'm just wondering if there are any, if you've thought about I mean, what the issues would be in the US or... Yeah, I was uh, I was looking. I mean, for the video that you that you mentioned, I was looking at the how the improvements in the tax system in Australia. I mean, uh, the tax system in Australia is is quite um, different to yes. to others. I mean, 
but definitely there, there is always room for improvement in in different tax systems. Yeah. Uh, but there are also a, a different form dif- different uh, forms of problems as well. Yeah. Yeah. So that point you made about imputation. So in Australia we have dividend imputation. Mm. So if a company pays corporate income tax and you're a shareholder in that company, then the you, you can claim it. You can claim it. That's right. The tax office imputes it to uh, uh, that tax paid to you, so you get the benefit of that. And what you were saying is that well, the foreign it, it it can be a disincentive to foreign investment because the foreign investors don't get that exactly. that imputation yeah. benefit and. What you could do if you got rid of dividend imputation is you could cut your company tax rate possibly to around 20% from where it was, up 27.5% or 30%. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, that could encourage foreign investment. Uh, so I think, that's the, I think that's the logic that, that's being advanced. Have you, have you looked at that Trump tax cut at all? Because uh, the Trump administration cut corporate income tax substantially i think didn't is that correct yeah yeah Yeah. so their company tax rates probably already very that they possibly don't have much room to cut that yeah moreover they also allowed for a repatriation of the income that had not been so actually the cut was bigger because they were allowing for all for all that yeah okay Right, so let's just recap. So you had three proposals. You mentioned uh, one was this uh, this cooperation between the fiscal authority, between the government, the treasury, and the central bank. Mm-hmm. Okay, proposal two, the social contract, where you, after the fact, you evaluate the assistance that went to different groups in the community and whether some were overcompensated or undercompensated, and then there can be an adjustment after the fact, mm-hmm. whether that's through additional compensation or, or higher taxes, that's an interesting proposal. And then proposal three is just making sure that whatever revenue raised is raised in a very, you know, the most efficient manner while yeah. uh, respecting equity considerations. Yes. Wh- which of those would be your, would be your favourite approach? Begonia, do you have a, a preference for any of those? Um, I, as, I'm, as I mentioned, the third one can be used in combination of one or two. Okay. So I, I guess uh, my favorite one would be a bit of a mix. So, for example, I would not go as a strict, and I'm talking from a personal point of view. Um, regarding proposal one, I would not go as extreme as what Bianchi says, but for example, what the, what the Federal Federal Reserve is doing in the U.S. of uh, average inflation targeting, maybe that's something that uh, is a little bit going in that direction without uh, without being as risky. And uh, the second one, given that uh, this is something that I'm proposing, I'm quite keen on it. Yes, yes. <laughs> 
but the, and the third one is one thing that can be done with either of them. So, but in any case, that would be things that we need to discuss. I didn't mention some of the things, like for example, tax on transactions is something that uh, we might want to think about getting rid of them. In New South Wales, they finally um, eliminated some of those. So maybe something that we want to uh, to think about and also a savings taxation of savings it seems is quite different depending on the forms of savings so we might want to think also about having a more level playing field um, so but these are things that probably would need to be discussed and it would need to uh, we would need to think about the advantages and disadvantages of of each of them Yes, yes. So taxes on transactions, did you say? You mean yeah. so property transactions, for example, through stamp duty and stamp yes, yes. And these things they were eliminated in New South Wales uh, recently. Uh, we know that they they are quite inefficient taxes, so uh, they could be replaced with more efficient ones. Yeah. So they're moving toward a, a tax on the value of the property, so an annual tax rather than some big stamp duty. A charge yeah. when you when a property is uh, yeah. purchased. Okay, okay, mm-hmm. right. Okay, thanks so much for going here. Do any last words? Any points that we uh, that you'd like to make before we wrap up? Um, no, as I mentioned, I, I think it's not the time now to start increasing taxes, but maybe it's the time to start thinking about how how we should approach. Uh, in uh, this increase in government debt, how we should finance it so in uh, the future. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Well, I look forward to reading your paper on social insurance when it comes out. That sounds, yeah. that sounds really interesting and uh, very important from a policy perspective. Righto. Associate Professor Begonia Dominguez of the University of Queensland School of Economics, thanks so much for joining me. No, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Economics Explored podcast. If you're enjoying it, please tell your family and friends and please give us a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify or on whatever platform you're listening on. If you'd like to get in touch with any comments or to ask any questions, please email me at gene dot tunny at gmail.com until next week goodbye